0: one what can you get for free because it's unbelievable what you can get for free Uh, number two what can you borrow
1: hello and welcome to the small business sewing podcast join host kathleen that's me from sunny mountain patterns and brandon from daily sews and stuff and guest experts as we discuss how to run successful sewing businesses innovations in sewing and ways to make more money doing what you love Hi, today we're going to talk to Alan Donegan on how to start a business for zero debt. He's a co-founder of Pop-Up Business School, which just recently rebranded as the Rebel Entrepreneur School out of the UK. Uh, he's also the host of the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. So please, please listen to that. It's amazing. And he also runs his own personal finance website called uh, Alan, alandonnegan.com. Now, before we start off with this, I'm going to mention that, uh, Depending on where you are, you will have to check with your local tax and legal requirements for compliance, depending on what you're making. So please do not believe us when we say anything. Check with competent legal and tax representatives because that's not us.
0: So Alan, welcome. Hi, that introduction sounded fantastic. I'm like, who is this guy? I want to meet him.
1: It's, it's very much you. And, and everything's going to sound more official because you have a British accent.
0: Oh, it makes me sound intelligent. A British accent and glasses seem to be a superpower in America. Doesn't help me in England, though. <laughs> That's the same.
1: <laughs> so, Alan, can you tell us a story about your story, not a story, your story about, <laughs> how, about how you uh, came to start up the, the Rebel Entrepreneur School, I think, along with your co-founder?
0: Of course, yes, uh once upon a time, there was a young man called Alan um no that's that is a story. my story <laughs> specifically, I got fired, stroke, paid to leave my last job uh, and I. Looked around for other jobs, couldn't find anything I wanted and thought, I've got to start a business. I need to do my own thing. I need to make my own money. And um, there was a service at the time from the British government that supported people to start businesses. And they gave me three workshops, how to write a business plan, exciting, Uh, finance, which finance is just a code word for debt. Yes. And how to raise the money to be able to start the business. And the third one was marketing, how to put yourself out there. Those were the three workshops. And they did more to put me off starting a business than they actually did to help me. And I was left in this kind of a mess going, what do I do? I don't want to borrow money. I don't want to go into debt. There's got to be a better way. That was actually that. There's got to be a better way, was Mm -hmm. the question that drove me. And I started searching and finding and, as i built my own business which was a training business at the time i started to learn the tools and techniques to be able to start businesses without debt and make money before well without that going into debt and out of that business plan and that was kind of how i did it and then that inspired the idea for if i struggle i'm going to blow my own trumpet slightly i'm a reasonably intelligent i've got energy <laughs> um I was young then, like I had things on my side. Um, If I struggle, what does that do to people who are lone parents or unemployed or all of those things? Like that must be stopping so many people doing their own thing. And that turned into a crusade to help people make their own money. Alan's not that old.
1: He retired at 40, which was really, he hasn't actually been retired that long. (laughs) But that's another well, topic. We have someone talking about personal finance and financial independence later on. Alan, um, can you give a good example of how you've coached one of your attendees for your pop-up courses on how to start a business with no debt or with zero money?
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's there's pretty much not a single business we found where you need to borrow money. And we have five very simple tools to help people get going for free. And just sort of, you know, these podcasts that sometimes they wait till the end to give you the secret. Let's just blow it all right up front and give everyone everything. Um, One, what can you get for free? Because it's unbelievable what you can get for free. Uh, Number two, what can you borrow? So if you can't get it for free, can you borrow what you need to start up? The third one is barter. If you can't get it for free, if you can't borrow it, can you barter for it? So swap your skills, swap your services. Can you do that? Uh, Number four is, it is amazing what people have lying around the house or the garage. Can you sell the contents of your garage to raise the £2,000 you need for the showing machine or $2,000 or whatever it is? It's incredible what people have lying around. Uh, And number five is sell before you create. And I think that is the most powerful tool that we give people is sell before you create because most people don't believe that's possible.
1: So in translation, this is uh, converting from a ready to sell or RTS model to a (laughs) custom or taking order model. So you just have a model you make and then you wait for people to order it and then you make it after they paid you
0: yeah, even a a sketch of it, even a design of it. I mean, if people are willing to spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars buying a house from a diagram, they're like you can sell something to them for from a diagram, from a sketch, from an idea. I've sold things that don't exist just by painting the picture <laughs> with my words. This is what it'll be. This is how it's happened. I'm sure you've all been on those tours where if you ever been on a tour and they've got a blank piece of land and they're telling you what's going to be here. And they're like, this is going to be the kitchen. And we all look around seeing the kitchen cabinets. And then they go, this is the window and it'll have a lovely vista. And we're all looking out of the window as if it's real. Um, it's unbelievable what you can do with your words and your confidence. You've got to deliver afterwards, but that doesn't mean you can't sell it first.
2: So, and you can also, I mean, you're going to present this as a custom made item. And so that can really draw in a different kind of customer too, because you can really call it, you know, custom made, bespoke, whatever you might want to use there. But that makes it sound even fancier when really you're just making sure you have that capital up front.
0: Absolutely. And it, this is not a new concept. <clears throat> this has been around for a long time. And I don't know if any of you... You probably wouldn't remember. This was in England. There was a a company called Cotton Traders, and they did cotton polo shirts, tops, things like that. And it was back in the days of newspapers and checks. I don't know if any of you remember checks.
2: Yes, um, I am older than we, I look, and we still use checks in America.
0: That's that's very but it strange. But it's spelled
1: with a C K, not a Q U E.
0: Yes,
2: <laughs> very rarely, I, but we do still use them.
0: We got paid by check at Pop Up Business School recently and I gave it to Henry who works for me. Uh, he's 24, 25, and pay this in. He looked at it, he held it like this up and he went, What is this? <laughs> it's a check, Henry. It's a check. It's like money. <laughs> it's, it's... What the way do with it? Cotton traders used to do this thing where they would put an advert in the back of the newspaper with pictures of their garments and it would say, like, cut out. You know, those little dotted lines with the scissors on, cut out this thing, fill in your name, address, your size and the number you want and post it to us with a check. And then in the small print underneath, it would say delivery is four to six weeks.
1: Mm -hmm. Why was delivery
0: four to six weeks?
1: Because they were making it after you
0: ordered it. Didn't exist. The product didn't exist. And talk about... Like the other way of doing this is you produce all of the stock that you don't know if anyone's going to buy. You make all of the sizes, even not knowing if the right size person is going to show up for what you do. And then you try and sell it. What they did was the opposite. They put the advert out, they collect the orders, they cashed the checks. So they know they had the money then they would produce the garments and ship them to the people. Then you're not left with four random extra smalls or five random double XLs at the end. You're actually supplying what people want. And I haven't found a single business that you can't sell the thing before you create it. It does take one magic ingredient, though uh, <laughs> trust. Uh- trust. Is the magic ingredient no one is going to give you 50 bucks up front if they don't trust you to deliver so you need to be able to inspire trust and the higher the amount the more the trust you need to inspire so if I'm going to hand over 100 bucks I need to properly trust if I have to hand over 500 bucks (laughs) I want to look you you in the eyes See if you're real. Uh, so yeah, trust is the underlying thing that facilitates sales. If I don't trust you, you're not getting my money, and vice versa.
2: I think anybody who's ordered custom fabric can relate with that. You know you you order it and then sometimes there's like a 12, 16 week turnaround time before it gets printed and then shipped to you. So they have minimums I mean, that
1: could be hundreds of dollars.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's very much the same thing. You're just doing it with your product rather than ordering your fabric.
1: Yes. So, Alan, how would you build trust in this digital age?
0: How would you build trust in a digital age? I think there's so many tools available to you. I mean, the basic tools of the internet are audio, video, picture, and written words. Those are the basic tools of the internet that you have. People are inspired more trust wise by seeing like can i if can I see a video of you making things? Can I see pictures of the quality of the products? Pictures are good; they're not as good as a video. Um, video is excellent. I think podcasts inspire trust because you get to hear someone's voice. you get to have a longer form experience with them. Words. We've grown wary of words in this world of fake news and fake media, and we're less believing. But words combined with pictures, videos, those sort of things. And if you're in the Facebook groups, if you're in the different places, people have seen your name, they start to build up a level of trust. Oh, like he or she is in this group, they're not going anywhere. I've seen their products. I've seen what they do. Uh, Other customers have recommended them. They've got referrals. They've got testimonials, all of those sort of things. There's actually many, many ways to build credibility and build trust. Um, There is one real shortcut one, though, if you would like that. Of course. The shortcut one is borrowing someone else's credibility. (laughs) Now... (laughs) <laughs> you might be thinking, how do you do that? Um, the, how I did that was I won, when I was doing my training business, one of the customers I won very early on is I did a workshop for Microsoft. I did a, actually mm. work for them for about 10 years running presence and presentation skills workshops. And as soon as I say to other people, oh, yes, I've delivered presence <coughs> and presentation skills courses for Microsoft, what's the first thing they say? Go. Oh, you must right. be legitimate. It's good enough for Microsoft.
2: Right. It's good it's enough good for things. us, mm-hmm.
0: and I'm borrowing their credibility. And there's a way to do this in your world with the people you've got. So I don't know what the who are the major brands, what are the major podcasts. Every website does this, as seen on partnered with, and they use other people's logos and other people's brands to borrow the credibility. And it's like the shininess of their brand rubs off on you. Uh, and that that one trick helped me to build my training business around the world. Uh, and it was an incredible shortcut to getting people to trust me because I got one person to trust me and then that was it. And they're like, oh, if Microsoft trusts him, he must be okay. It's
1: mm-hmm. actually and what we're doing right go. now. Exactly. Yes. By inviting people who have accomplished a lot already, like Alan. Um, Speaking of Alan and inviting other people, all of the ways that he mentioned for building trust, these are all free. So running a Facebook group. And by the way, we also plan on having uh, a guest on that has built a 57,000 plus Facebook group members of customers. So she's got oh. some great gems on on uh, community building and how to manage a Facebook group if you're interested in that. But uh, the other things like video, Alan, do you need an expensive camera to take video of your product?
0: <laughs> I was always amazed. I ran the pop-up business school. I ran an event in Namibia in Africa. And I was thinking, are oh, my techniques going to work in Namibia and Africa? And I turned up there, and everyone's got a mobile phone. Uh, everyone has a camera on their mobile. He's holding phone,
1: his right. Iron Man.
0: I'm uh, holding case my Iron Man case. Yeah. This. I'm an absolute Marvel geek. I apologize about that. Uh, but Don't yeah, apologize. Every- <laughs> we're both, We're all <laughs> geeks. Can
2: you hold on? Can you see my shirt? I have my I have my Doctor oh, yeah. Who Christmas shirt on <laughs> with a Dalek. <Taylor. laughs>
0: I love that. Um, So every one of you probably has a camera on your phone that you can start to capture video, and it really doesn't take that much. And a lot of people say, oh, Alan, I don't want to put my face on camera. Well, I don't know if you've seen, there was a big uh, slew of Facebook videos where the camera was pointed down and they were cooking videos where all you saw was the hands and the ingredients. That's a very popular style of video. You don't even need to be on the film. Just point the camera at your lap whilst you're knitting, point it at the sewing machine whilst you're sewing, point it at the product when you've finished and have fun showing off what you create. I mean, that's it. Like No one else is going to show you off. Do
2: it yourself. Show off. And I know I'm, you know, I'm not a big time name, but on Daily Sews and Stuff, I just use my phone. Sometimes I use my iPad. I've gotten a little fancier I've added a $40 microphone but you know I just I know I know (laughs) any smartphone that you have has a great camera and I don't see the need to spend a thousand dollars on a camera right now you can also buy secondhand by the way yeah I'm a
1: huge proponent for secondhand
0: or borrow find a friend with a fancy camera (laughs) Get just your don't kids, break it. your kids probably have fancy cameras on their iPhones like just borrow the kids <laughs> outsource this stuff you look after them enough they should be creating should videos like to... for you yes let them borrow their phone that's great um send them out to work but it's, it's incredible like you don't have to spend money to do this it's amazing the resources lying around and let me give you one other example about resources and borrowing we had a lady and i'm sure this you'll you'll tell me how this will apply to the sewing world we had a lady who wanted to release a um an album she was a musician she was a singer she wanted to release an album her problem was she couldn't afford to hire the studio space to be able to record the album to then put it out and we said well okay let's think about this where might have Studio space. Where has underutilized studio space? Where has the resources? And actually, there was a college not far away that had a music course. And for the music course, they had all the kit, they had all the boards, they had all the stuff. And we're like, well, why don't you just borrow that? And she said, Do you think they'll let me? Like, I don't know. Ask them. Let's try. (laughs) What's the worst that happens? They say no. So she rings up. She has a chat. And the person on the other end of the line says, uh, we don't normally do this, but, you know, if you do something for me, I'll let you do it. And uh, what you need to do is you need to use the students as the audio technicians so that they have something to go in their portfolio. So she kind of replied, so let me get this straight. You will give me free labor and a free space. And the cost (laughs) to me is that I have to use the free labor. And they're like, well, (laughs) when you put it like that, it sounds bad, but like, you've got to give the students an experience, they need to learn from you as well. Um, And she recorded her album by Borrowing Space and it's unbelievable what resources, tools, equipment is lying underutilized in business, in social enterprise, in universities, colleges, schools, in community buildings. It's unbelievable, the kit... That is lying around that you can ask to borrow,
1: and that means stuff, by the way. Kit means stuff. Yes,
0: it means stuff. Things. <laughs> if
1: you're in a, if you're Items. in America,
0: yeah. I, I said to that someone the other day, do I have to bring my swimming kit? We were going swimming. Did you now, have a I, whole kit swimming for this? kit. No, it's just it just means trunks in England, I guess. Oh, uh, but pants. There we go. Pants. Well shorts. that's what we wear under trousers <laughs> in England yeah. So you get very confusing oh, yes. very quickly yes. We need a translation
2: it, We'll just call them britches That's what we do at our house The, the well, outside the, the, in the trousers south. Yeah mm. Under but britches But britches comes from England That was a thing in England Does first Alan
0: uh-huh. please verify this uh, I'm afraid I was <laughs> like, not around in the 1800s
1: Exactly yes <laughs> Unless you ask, the answer is 100% no.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you have to get out of your comfort zone and ask. It
0: gets, I think it gets easier as you go on. Everything you want in life is outside your comfort zone. Otherwise, you'd already have it. And life has this cruel way of saying that thing you need, it's just over there just outside your comfort zone. If you can get yourself to, the thing I hated doing when I was younger was making the phone call. I would get nervous. I would get sweaty. I hated making the phone calls. Um, it's the fear of rejection, the fear of someone being nasty on the other end. But the universe does have this way of saying, like, this thing you want, are you really committed? If so, it's not too far outside your comfort zone, but you're going to have to do something. That's not in your normal wheelhouse, because if it was in your normal wheelhouse, if it was in your comfort zone, you would have already done it. So if you want to turn this into a business, if you want to get to the next step, if you want to grow your brand online, you're going to have to do things that are outside of your comfort zone. The way you get
1: out more comfortable with it is by doing it. So actually, you know, I thought about this when I heard you talking about on your podcast, which is The Rebel. Entrepreneur business podcast? Did I get that right? I know I listen to it every time. It's it comes close out. enough. Yeah, <laughs> just look for Alan's face. Before I used to work for a uh, company that managed private jets that would come to Hawaii. Uh, yeah, wow. ultra high net worth individuals, and I would have to cold call customers that might have a jet. So they ha- they have a whole list. And I would have to call them and be like, hey, you know, you've been to Hawaii before. Let me tell you about what we do, because you can't just land a jet and like leave it on the runway. Apparently, as I was doing this, I was calling 10 to 20 people a day. I got used to it and I had a a good idea of what I was going to say. I wouldn't get nervous. It was okay if people said no. But you know what? When you you offer to send them Kona coffee for free, (laughs) they're usually they're usually a lot more amenable
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) to talking to you.
0: I also feel like if we know, if we ever need to borrow a private jet, I now know who to speak to.
1: Oh, I don't, I don't do that anymore. And I don't, I don't know anybody that owns a private jet anymore. Sorry. I didn't know the people that owned it. I just talked to the handlers. So it wasn't like...
2: People who own a private jet don't answer the phone.
1: Right. They have people to their phone. <laughs> These are people that are managing, you know, a $50 million jet. It was for advertising and marketing for the company I worked for. So it was high stakes because if you could get jets coming in, you had income coming in. If there were no jets coming in, you had no income coming in.
0: Which that is the bit. If you are willing to make the calls, do the marketing, do the sales, then business will come in. If that scares you, then you won't get any business. And unfortunately, in most of the world, it's not the people who are best at the business. It's not the people who produce the best product that are the most successful. It's the best sellers and marketeers. And that's not right, but that's just kind of the way the world operates. And that's the game we need to get used to and play. Because if you can't sell and you can't market, you won't get people to look at your product. And we need to get used to, I don't know, just watch a YouTube video about how to take better photos. And then watch a YouTube video of how to get more engagement on Facebook and do it it's it's not as tough as it sounds but it it's the way the world works we live in a capitalist world and we've got to play the game if we want to get ourselves out there
1: so i have to ask this because brandeline um follows somebody that's a famous quilter on the youtube mm. sphere and i think it was her it has a very similar phrase as what you do um but what would your advice be for people who they just cannot seem to get anything out because they sit there and they fiddle with their photos trying to make it perfect.
0: Have you ever tried Googling perfect? Like going to Google Images and putting in perfect? You get no. some weird stuff. Maybe I don't, I don't recommend
1: I don't that. I don't think I should do that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Either there's a smart aleck response or there's going to be something I'm not sure I want to see. Well, this is the bit. Perfect doesn't
0: exist. There's no such thing. None of us are perfect none of the things are perfect. There'll always be slight errors, slight things, but actually what you learn over the years is, is those little errors, the different ways of doing things is what people love and fall in love with. And they fall in love with your product because it's got your personality, your style, not because it's perfect. And your pictures will never be, I'm sorry to say your pictures will never be perfect. Nothing will ever be perfect. You've just got to launch and get it out there and, We have an expression at the Rebel Business School, which is done is better than perfect. I've met so many people that have been wanting to launch a business for decades, and they never do it because they're waiting for the right time or for it to be perfect or the right person. And it will never be perfect. and this is actually my business partner's called Simon. This is the thing he hated about me the most when we started working together, was I don't really care about perfect personally, because I'm not great at spelling. I just launch it. The picture will be a bit funny, but I'll get it done. And having done that, people show up, and the business is launched. Simon and I would sit in a coffee shop and have a meeting. We'd come up with an idea. We'd both drive home. By the time he would get home, I would have launched it online. I would have a web page up. I would have launched it. I probably would have sold one or two. And he was in a panic going, it's all wrong. Like there's spelling mistakes. There's this, that. But that drove him to correct my spelling. And we made progress. You can never get to version two. Yeah, done so, is better than I, perfect.
2: I think there's two really good points in there. One is you had somebody, you know, you were the go getter and he was the make it writer. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> so Kathleen is she actually does most things very, very well. Or and everything I've had her do, she's done very well. I don't know about all things because, you know, there's probably something no, I have I have mistakes all the time. Are you kidding? But she is definitely the go-getter of the two of us. She's like, let's do this. We're going to do it. This is, you know, I'm going to invite these people. And then I don't know why she drugged me along, but it works out really well for us.
1: <laughs> because that one video that you made where you decided you wanted to eat ice cream while you're narrating. <laughs> and I was like, I need to talk to her.
2: But really, I, I do go back and I I check the grammar and I check the whatever. And we, I think we work really well together because we're coming at it from two different places. And so- finding somebody you can work with but that who brings a whole different thing to it is really important and then the other thing kathleen mentioned this and then that's what you said uh angela walters says finished is better than perfect and she's talking about quilts Mm. but it's very much the same thing it it applies to all of it
0: it really does it really applies to all of it and just getting it out there. And i we've actually just rebranded Pop-Up Business School to Rebel Business School. And one of our team members, Jack, created a video and he dug back through the archives and found the first ever YouTube video we did for Pop-Up Business School it's sort of nine years ago now. And I look at that video and I cringe. It was in my two bed flat in my horrible cream leather sofa. Uh, I didn't even bother cleaning the kitchen. There's like a pot behind me. And there's me and Simon on the couch. (laughs) That's basic, yeah. Um, Nearly, I think it was 45 people showed up at that first event because of our imperfect videos. And we got better and we get better. And now you'll see a much slicker, sleeker organization. But we didn't start there. And I think if you go back to any any YouTuber go back to their first videos, they'll cringe. But they couldn't get to where they are if they didn't do the first ones. And I'm sure anyone listening to this, your first quilt that you made, your first thing that you knitted, you probably look back and go, I can't believe I accepted that. But you couldn't have got to where you got to if you hadn't have done it. So just do it, get it done. The cringe will come later and you'll be quite proud.
2: And it's amazing how quickly that happens. I mean, I haven't even been doing this quite a whole year and already I'm like, oh, I need to like redo those first ones because they're awful. <laughs> you, you learn so fast when you actually do it.
1: So let me ask um, a different question just because I have it on my list. Uh, why is it important for a business to start without debt?
0: Why is it important for a business to start without debt? I kind of reverse the question. Why is it important to start with debt? do you really want to go into debt if you have to? And I guess I could answer this with my personal experience. Uh, My dad was an entrepreneur. He borrowed a lot of money to build a business. He borrowed 3.6 million pounds, which is roughly $5 million. uh, And that's the amount he went bankrupt for. And uh, do you know what the asset was that he secured that money against? Your house. Mm -hmm. the family home that me my little brother and my mum lived in and he ran off with another woman leaving us to deal with it and I spent 10 years of my life uh fighting the bank to try and keep the family home and keep a roof over my family's head and I don't want that to happen to anyone and I don't care if it's 10 grand you're borrowing like why do you need to You can borrow the equipment, you can barter for stuff, you can pre-sell and use your customer's money. There's so many ways to do it. Just get creative. But I think people are lazy and they try and shortcut the process by throwing money at it. Like stop being lazy and do the work. You will get learning from it. You will improve, you will make progress. And the learning that you get from those early days of being scrappy, of borrowing, bartering, doing all those bits, that's the learning that will make you strong when you grow your business. And... If you can avoid debt, why wouldn't you? There's actually somebody
1: on one of the Facebook groups I'm in that wants, she has samples made up and she goes, should I open a website, pay for uh, one of the hosting or the shop, like Shopify or Square Mm -hmm. and build all that up and pre-make everything? Or should I continue to sell on Facebook? As I've been doing, I only have one item that's selling well. Should I try to branch out or should I just stick with this for now?
0: If the item's doing well, see, here's the thing. It's about sensing what the market wants. And you put out three or four ideas, but the market only really wants one of them. And by market, I just mean a group of humans that you're selling to. Like there's this mystical market. It's not. It's a bunch of humans that are voting with their dollars and they're voting for that product. If that one's successful, go hard on it. And you can then come up with other ideas and expand if you want to. I had that with my training courses. I wanted to run a whole bunch of training courses, but the businesses I would sell to voted with their money that actually Alan, the one we only really want is this one. And I have a choice. I can either sell the market, what they want and make money and be happy, or I can fight them and tell them they don't actually want that. They want all this other stuff. And, uh, One route leads to happiness and one route leads to quite a painful existence. I've tried both. And I've noticed it's not always what
1: you think is going to be popular. It's what's popular.
0: It's never what you think. It's never what you think. It's never the thing you think it's going to be. You think, this is the one. This is the one. I love this. Everyone else is going to love this. And you put it out there and there's crickets. There's not even a like on the Facebook group. And then you put something out there that you think is a bit average and a bit rubbish and people go crazy about it. And you can't predict. And I would say stop predicting. You don't need to. The market will tell you. Humans will tell you. The Facebook group will tell you. Just put it out there and see what sells and go with what people want. And if you enjoy making what people want, even better.
1: Really, that's that's a free way of doing it. If you post it on Facebook and your customers don't go, oh, I love this, you know, give me, <laughs> take my money.
0: <laughs> There's a sign.
1: It was a sign. Uh but if they're like, oh my gosh, I will order 10 of these, like when what are you taking orders? I I take my money, please. That's a pretty good indication that uh you should probably
0: make more of those. That's exactly what happened to my friend Jane. Uh she started she's doing crocheting. She's a hooker and she crocheted <laughs> animals. I'm sorry, um, in I America, th- hooker
1: means um <laughs> Lady it means of the a evening. Lady of the Night. <laughs> it means I think a, it's- a, a paid companion. <laughs>
0: I think it's also the term for someone who does crochet
1: Yes It, yes, it is It is. It is
0: <laughs> We're juvenile Sorry <laughs> She crochets um, So we put out the uh, She put out pictures of what she was doing People went wild for it They loved it And she started to sell them And you can then press in and turn it into a business if you want, or you can keep it a hobby if you would like to. Um, But it's what the market reacts to. And the market will tell you. You just need to put it out there and ask, and they will tell you. And I would just like to say the only real test of this, because lots of people will press like on a post. Does that mean they will buy? No you have to ask them to buy. The only moment of real feedback is when you ask someone to take their purse, their wallet, their credit card out of their pocket and give you money. They will be nice to you up until the point you ask for their cash. When you ask for their cash, you will get the real feedback and it's really critical you do that. Otherwise you will have lots of niceness and no orders.
1: It's kind of like when you're having a conversation with somebody and they go, Oh, that's nice.
0: Mm-hmm. That oh, I love lovely. what you've done there. Yeah, yeah that's lovely. Yeah. And then you have to go and look them in the eyes and go, Oh, I love that you like it. I'm so happy. I'm actually selling them. They're $49. Would you like to buy one?
1: <laughs> and Alan's doing the, the,
0: the stare down
1: right yes. now if you're not watching the video.
0: But that's the critical moment. Like, if you don't ask the question, people don't have to buy. They don't have to answer. And lots of people will ask the indirect question of, do you like this? That's not asking them to buy. Stop dodging the uncomfortable moment. It's the uncomfortable moment where your success lies. You have to go through that to get to it. And some people are going to say no, and that's okay. And some people are going to say yes. But if you sort of ask it in fluffy language of, would you like, uh, you know, is this something that you would buy? Well, that's not asking for the sale. That's or how much would you pay the for this? Oh, I hate that question. How much would you pay for this? Stop asking that. Just say, it costs X. Would you like to buy one? A
1: lot of ladies, actually, I'm I'm generalizing. A lot of people who are sewers and crafters have a very hard time charging for what they're worth. They're like, well, you know, it only costed me $10 in materials, so I should only charge, what, $15? But then it took you four hours to make. You're going to get paid less than a dollar an hour?
0: It just doesn't make sense when it's like that. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, But it's really difficult. I get it. It's difficult. When I was first doing speeches... I'm charging how much for an hour of my time? And it's just me talking words, I I can't do that. But actually it's not just me talking words, it's years and years of practice, it's developing the skills, it's doing all of that. And the people that are listening to this podcast now, you have spent years perfecting your art. People are not paying for the material. They're paying for your decades of experience and skill of what you can produce beautifully. That's what they're paying for, and you cannot undervalue that.
1: Right, so if you're trying to price your product and you're thinking, you know, I would only pay $15 for this shirt, but you're making something that's a high-quality couture level, remember, there's T-shirts for sale that are mass-made using who knows what type of fabric made, who knows where, for expensive luxury uh, companies that are selling for $500 a pop.
2: And also, I, I will always say, why will I buy this for $200? I could, ha- I could have my husband make it for 100 or I could make it for $50, or whatever. And so I am terrible at that. My husband is a carpenter, and he never asks me anymore how to price something, because I will always give a price way too low. Because my thought is always, what would I pay for it? It's not what
1: you would pay for it.
2: Right. But that's the thing is it's not what I would pay for it. It's what somebody else would pay for it. Because I am not his customer. Um, I am not my own customer. I need to think about the people who will actually buy it, who probably aren't the creators.
0: There's also vastly different markets within a small location or vastly different markets online. And if you are, this is one of the biggest mistakes I've seen people in sewing groups and crochet groups do is they try to sell their products to other people who are making the same stuff. That's not going to lead to success because they're going to be saying the same thing that Brannelyn says of like, well, I could make this for myself for that amount. They're not going to pay you the money. You need to go where the people who don't have the Mm -hmm. same skills as you are. And I remember doing a project in East London and there was it's one of the most deprived neighborhoods in London. And right across the road is Canary Wharf, which is one of the wealthiest postcodes in London. And it's amazing that these two areas are separated by one road and you've got all the banks and the towers and the fancy restaurants, and then you've got a market where people won't pay 50 cents for an item. And the people on this side of the road are complaining no one will pay any money. And I'm thinking, well, why don't you just walk over yeah. the road and sell it to them? Like, they've got money and they would, like, they're would they not even going to bat their eyelid at four times the price, ten times the price. They actually want to pay for quality. And stop trying to sell to people without money. And that was my biggest learning point. I, I spent an entire year trying to sell to schools. Uh, what do schools not have much of? Money. And it was a painful year. It was my worst year financially. Like I felt like I was making a difference and I was doing good work, but I didn't make any money. Then I switched and sold to corporate organizations. And, hey, they have uh, money. They have a lot of money. And they actually looked at me and go, why are you charging so little? You can't be any good. Uh, and that was a wake up call for me. So I changed markets and it changed my future.
1: It's very much so like you buy a, a LV bag and it's only $50 and you go, maybe this is fake. Maybe this is a <laughs> a, a, knock, a knockoff or it's a cast off from the factory. Um, so speaking of pricing, um, some of the challenges they have as a sewer is how do you pay for product, pay for fabric, uh, for example, I've actually had a a question on one of the Facebook group from uh, Rain Fields. Uh, is how do you start a business with zero debt when you only want to have ready to sell business model?
0: Well, you're cutting yourself up. Like, why do you only want to have ready to sell? Like, I I never understand this. People come to me and say, well, I don't want to do it the way I can do it without debt. It's like, well, why 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 are you making life difficult for yourself? Do you not trust that you can do it? Do you not? Like I don't understand that way of thinking. And I had a guy who came to me and he was saying, I want to start a museum. And I said, well, here's all the different ways you can do it. You could borrow a space. You could borrow the staff. You could borrow this. And he said, well, I don't want to do that. I want to pay for all the items and I want to get all the money for the space. It's like, well, I can't help you. If that's what you want to do, go and spend the money, go into debt, do it. Um, it's just, I just don't understand it. Like, why are you cutting off every other option and you've decided the only way to do it is that? Because a lot of people have been
1: conditioned to throw money at a problem. If your fridge breaks, what do you do? You buy a new fridge.
2: You call your dad and ask him to fix it. Well, that's you. (laughs) So you've been conditioned
1: to try to fix things first on your own or call your dad to try to fix things. My husband fixes our fridge. He's a refrigeration technician.
0: Where you're going with this is the societal conditioning. And the societal conditioning is you must write a business plan, you must borrow the money, you must produce all the product up front, then and only then you sell. And this conditioning, if you type how to start a business into Google, you'll get one of the top articles is from entrepreneur.com. They have, I think, their 12 steps to start a business. What number do you think sales is on their 12 steps to start a business? Eleven. It's probably. Yeah, it's I was 11. gonna say 10. Oh no. win. Oh Ranlin wins. Yeah, it's number eleven. It's the end. I'm like why do we have to end with that? Why? And there's all these tr- trusted sources, the universities, the banks. Do you know the number one? Supplier You're talking about the places
2: of, that that lend you the or money. Go to school.
0: Yeah. Do you know the number one supplier of business education throughout the world? Banks. Banks. It's banks. And how do they make their money? By lending you money. Like these people are out there for the last probably 7,500 years, maybe not in America, but definitely in Europe. (laughs) Uh, you know, they've been there for a long time telling us we need to borrow money to be able to get. And there's these foundational sayings of it takes money to make money. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, that trap us as a society for trying new things. If you can get flexible, you can achieve anything. If you just want to follow the traditional path that's been set out by the people who want to make money from you, you're going to get stuck and I just get frustrated. I want to help people. I want to unlock them. But it's really challenging when they go, the only way to start a business is to produce all the product up front, because that's just not true.
1: Speaking of which, you don't even have to make product to sell to have a sewing business, right? Branlyn has a sewing business and she does not sell product. I have a sewing business. I do not sell product. So Branlyn does YouTube videos where she does tutorials specifically for using with projector sewing, because it's a very new uh, technology that's coming out. And I make sewing patterns that sell digitally.
0: In America, do you have advent calendars? Yes. So you know, at Christmas, you open up a window each day and you get a small thing. Uh, We had a lady come on the course at Reading. Her name was Nina. Um, she did knitting windows was her business and she sold knitting advent calendars. And every day you would get a different piece of yarn, a different pattern, a different needle. And she, she would always send me a picture of Christmas with her as the postman with bags and bags and bags of these calendars going out to people. And she pre-sold them all. Cause if you're buying an advent calendar, where do you pay? When do you pay for it? Before you make it. Yeah, you pay for it up front you know, and you then she
2: would... Well, you pay for it like in November and then you get it before. Yeah, yep.
0: exactly. Uh, there's so many different ways to doing it. I've even seen people who do uh, online knitting conventions. So they run the event where people come together. There's just so many different ways. And actually... There is far more money in the alternate, the teaching, the conferences, the events than there is in the product, because people like Primark and China have kind of killed the market by producing it so cheaply. And you can go very high end and go niche and different, which is fantastic. And there is money there but the market has been compressed by these people who sell it so cheap and it makes it so difficult it makes it so difficult so sometimes the alternate ways of doing it there's far more cash there for you if you if that's your primary objective if you do tutorials you can
1: always do affiliate marketing when you say this is the exact material I'm using from this company. If you buy from there, it won't cost you any more money, but I'll get a small percentage of the sale.
2: Right. Or like I was thinking I could go to Target and I could buy leggings for my girls for $5 a piece, or I could go to Walmart and probably get them for like $3 a piece. And then I could make them myself for usually like $15 a piece probably. Plus a lot of time and effort (laughs)
1: and swearing.
2: Yeah. Oh no, leggings are easy. But if I'm going to sell them to someone else, I'm going to have to charge them what, like $40 to cover all of my overhead and everything. I pro- you know, am I going to be able to market them for $40? I don't know. But then if instead I have Kathleen's skills, which I don't have, and I make a pattern for it and I sell the pattern for $10 a piece, then I mean, that's a whole lot not easier, but uh, it's. I'll
0: be able to sell more of those. I'll be able to sell more of those. There is a market for the $40 leggings as well. There is absolutely a market for that because there is a a strong group of people who would never buy anything from Walmart, who want to buy from other places. And you can tap into those. It's just finding the people who want what you do and are willing to pay for your value because... Some people will never value a 40 pair of leggings because they'll just go, well, I'll just go to Walmart and buy it for X. And there's other people who go, like, I would never do that. I want to spend the money because I want to support local artists. I want to support creators. I want to anti-support Walmart for whatever reason.
1: So honestly, if you're a maker, you probably are not your best customer. Your niche is no. somebody that's, if you're a maker, your niche is somebody that wants handmade. They want a story behind what you're making. If you're making to sell a product, they want to know who you are that's making it, not just that it was made at a reasonable price. They want to know that it's organic cotton or that you hand dyed it or it was picked by virgins in the Himalayas. That's my example for the Himalayas. Who's going to
0: verify that? I don't know. (laughs) Are we back to crochet again? I don't know what's going on here.
1: I actually really think that... um, your your principles for pop-up business school are amazing. So can you briefly explain them? <laughs> because Brandlyn hasn't heard them before and I think she'd get a lot out of it and other audience members would get a, a lot out of it.
2: Kathleen's been like teasing me about it for weeks now. So yes, please tell me.
0: Was there a particular one you wanted, Kathleen?
2: Can you list them first and then we'll see if anyone spikes uh,
1: Bramlyn's
0: interest? Yeah, of course. So there's uh, fail fast, fail cheap is one of the ones that we talk about regularly because your first business venture is probably not going to be the one that you end up running. Like you have to go through a series of iterations. You have to go through a series of learnings and the traditional business model of write a business plan, borrow a lot of money, spend six months doing it and then try and sell. If it goes wrong at that point, that is failing slow and failing expensively and no one likes that. That's painful. So our version is, if it's going to go wrong, get it done quickly and without money, and then you can get on to version two and version three and where you're going. So don't borrow money, just start, try and sell it. And actually, if you just put up a one that you've made and say, would anyone like this? If no one does, what have you lost? A little bit of time. Yeah. yeah. So fail fast, fail cheap is a huge one. Don't do what everyone else does and fail slowly and fail expensively. Number two. Well, we have everything you want in life is outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you already have it. So go do that one. Um, we have a huge list, Kathleen. I'm finding I thought there was question, only five. Uh, there's actually... 12 pop-up principles that we end uh the course with that we sort of give away to people. Oh. And that normally takes me I haven't uh, we did it in two podcasts that last I haven't finished the second podcast, hours. that's why. Uh so when you <laughs> ask sorry. for all of the principles, I'm like, how can I do these quickly can, and easily? Can we do
1: the can we do the the big secret one that Simon does? <gasps> the big I love secret it. one.
0: Okay. Are we the, with have the dramatic stop recording. Yeah. <laughs> stop recording, close the gonna, windows. I, I will blanket out. Don't tell anyone Um, the secret to building the business. And actually, like Simon always did the setup. This is the kind of thing that I realized. The secret to starting a business is sell something to somebody.
1: (laughs) They don't teach you this in in, uh, business school.
0: Like if you do that, you have a business. I'm not kidding. If you sell something, you have a business. That's it. Why do people make it so complex? Like if you go to business school, they'll spend three years and hundreds of thousands of dollars teaching you stuff. Uh, four years. Four years.
1: In the US, you get, it's, four it's a four-year degree. Mm-hmm. Unless it's an the MBA, then it's yeah. two years.
0: Well, I tell you what, you could go out and sell something this afternoon have an experience that you will learn a huge amount from. And it's really interesting. We, I run uh, sections on entrepreneurship for several of the large MBA courses. And the feedback generally is people learn more in a week from my course than they do in their entire MBA. And it's a practical way of doing it. Like stop messing about and sell something. Because if you put your product online and you have five customers that you have to fulfill like the experience of fulfilling the customers, producing the product, doing the customer services, the aftercare, getting the money in. You will learn more from that experience than you will from studying online for a month. So just sell something to somebody and you have a business. And it sounds facetious. There is some detail. You've got to work out what you're going to sell, how much you're going to sell it for, and who your target market is. There is some detail, but primarily... Let's stop making it complex and let's start trying to sell stuff.
1: You don't even have to be selling or collecting money from your the persons that's receiving the product. Because I believe Alan's original and still uh, model for the Rebel Business School is that they actually offer the courses for free. It's two weeks and it's completely free. Well, how the heck do you run a business if you're not making money off of the attendees? <laughs>
0: Yes. No one, we've trained over 8,000 people over nine years and no one has ever paid to come on our course, which people are always confused. And one of my principles actually, yeah. How good can it be? One of my principles always was how can you teach business if you don't make your own money? So I was always very vehement that we should be a real business that made real money because how can we teach people to make money if we don't make money? Because most of the people out there If you go to a bank for an education, well, they've never started a business. If you go to a university for education on how to start a business, it's run mostly by lecturers who have never started a business. Most of the people who teach business are charities who don't make money. And I find that shocking. But we still wanted the course to be free to help people. Um, So what we do is we sell the course to sponsors councils, local governments, housing authorities. We sell it to corporate sponsors and they pay us to give it away to the communities that need it the most. And it makes an incredible difference to people. And I've actually seen this. We did help one lady actually in North London, who was, her course was a sewing course and she persuaded someone to pay her to give away the sewing course to teach skills in disadvantaged communities. So she actually took our model and used it for sewing courses. And it's unbelievable what you can do. But yeah, so that's how we make our money. Everything we do is free for you, the user, uh, but someone pays because we've got to make cash. I need to be able to pay for my pizza and breakfast burritos.
1: But if you want to tip Alan, buy him a pizza or breakfast burritos.
2: I don't feel like I can buy an English breakfast taco for somebody. You'll have to come to Texas and we'll go to like a hole in the wall place and I'll get you a real breakfast taco. Okay.
0: I love Texas. I am in, (laughs) where in Texas do I need to come?
2: South Texas. If you're going to, if you want a real breakfast taco, we're going South. No, really. If you want more details and you're
1: in the UK, well, honestly they're actually doing everything online right now. So you could attend and how would they know, Uh, but please go to their website. Has it been officially changed over to the...
0: Uh, Just Google pop-up business school and you will find us. And we're the only thing that shows up and that'll redirect you. It's easier at the moment uh, as we rebrand. But all the courses are free and you're right. Most of them are at the moment are online. They're all online. So we wouldn't know if the Americans snuck in.
1: Just make sure you use uh, proper British terms when you talk.
0: You
2: ask questions. (laughs) Add, add a U into your word. Colour. Colour. add a U in. Calor.
0: So it's, it's a mobile phone, not a cell phone. Not a cell phone. And uh, we put Flat. rubbish in the bin, not trash in the can. We do, uh, yeah, we'd put rubbish in the bin.
2: So I think we can start we wrapping can up now. We've been- watch, watch some BBC first. I recommend Doctor Who.
0: <laughs> yes, or Downton Abbey. That'll perfectly Abbey. assimilate you into the British culture.
1: We want to finish up with four uh, questions we always ask our guests, you being our second guest, so 100% of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's your favorite time-saving tip?
0: My favorite time-saving tip is the night before, work out what the one thing you want to get done is, and then do it first thing the next morning. And I know you'll be thinking kids are in the way or this is in the way, but find a way to start with the most important thing and just get it done. And that will save you an unbelievable amount of time because if you leave that till the end and you've been looking after the kids, working, like doing exercise, and you come to five o'clock or six o'clock at night and then you try and do it, Like the reserves of energy are gone. And the thing I found is actually most people, it's not a lack of time. It's a lack of energy that stops people being successful. So get that most important thing done first thing in the day. That's my top time-saving tip.
1: How do you price your products or how rather your products are very different than a maker. So how would you suggest a maker prices their products if they're selling something physical?
0: I think you've got different angles. Number one is look at what the prices are in the market. So you will have, like, if you just take a t-shirt, you'll have prices from three bucks a t-shirt to 500 bucks a t-shirt. That gives you your range And then have a look at where you want to sit in that marketplace and who you want to sell to. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, what does it actually cost you to do it? Because I've met so many makers that undervalue their time. And they're like, well, it only costs $3 in materials, but it took me 14 hours. You need to work out what a reasonable return is for that and what you're happy with, not what the customer needs to pay, because you can actually charge pretty much anything. There is a price point for anything. So I'd be looking at that. And then the final piece is people associate quality with price. So don't be afraid to increase your price because if it's too cheap, people will look at it and go, well, it can't be any good. Why is it that much?" So don't be afraid to double your prices because people associate quality with price.
1: And then show off how what quality you're getting with
0: that price. So if you have French seams, definitely highlight that. Is that the the ocean that's between us and France? I'm not sure what a French seam is.
2: Not if you're in Mexico.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Move on quickly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's a way
1: of finishing uh, your your garment so that it's enclosed all the raw edges are enclosed it's a little bit more work it's a double stitching so it's what you will get in the very high end uh like business shirts for example so uh the third question is uh what do you automate
0: i automate investing my money that i make gets invested in broad-based index funds in the stock market and just goes in we automate our finances um I haven't yet managed to automate my podcast, but I'm working on it. A lot you of it happens of, in the background without me. I was going to say,
1: you have a team that does it through Choose FI, so that's kind of automating.
0: Yeah, yes. You don't have yeah, to do yes. editing. I don't have to do editing, which I'm so grateful for. Uh, thank you to my editor, Andrew, I love you. The stuff that's important, we try and automate so that it automatically happens. So. Like We automatically get up and do our exercise. We automatically sort our finances out and finding those ways to make your important stuff happen every day. Uh, if you were doing marketing, I'd be looking at automating my marketing posts. So setting them all up so that they go out religiously at the right time. Anything you can do to make automatic the key processes in your life will improve things massively.
1: Do you know if there's a free way to do automatic Uh, social media posts because i'm looking
0: i would have to come back to you on that one i will ask my team who are young and do that stuff god i sound so old now
2: (laughs) face uh facebook has a program an app called business suite and it will work for facebook and instagram together and you can make the post and schedule it it's a little clunkier than a lot of the paid things but it is free free.
1: i need something for pinterest specifically if you're going to ask your team ellen (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay cool i'll message them
1: <laughs> thank you this has been very productive uh and then finally how can others find you
0: just type my name into google and i'm pretty much the only thing that comes up i've managed to destroy the other alan Donagans off page one of google um don't mess with me uh <laughs> i'm only kidding but donegan usual spelling uh just the irish way d-o-n-e-g-a-n and yeah just search for me there or pop up business school you'll find me. I'm I'm kind of ubiquitous on the internet. And uh, if I can help, if you can find me, maybe you can hire the A team.
1: And don't be thrown off by the .uk for the pop-up business school because they're actually in, in the UK.
0: We ran one in Texas. We ran a pop-up business school in Houston. That was a huge amount of fun. We've done them in Colorado. Uh, we did one in Indianapolis and Charleston. So we've been around the U- US a few times. And They're in Morocco, Namibia, France, New Zealand, and we just you launched did one in, in Colombia. See- oh. Yeah, but there's a... Uh, team in New Zealand that run the events, and oh. the first event in Colombia was just before Christmas. So um yeah, if you're listening to this for other countries, you can still find us, or just you know sneak into one of the online events. Don't tell anyone;
1: it's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've, I've always wanted them to
0: be open to all.
1: It is well worth the time to attend. So it, it might not cost money, but it will take you time to mm-hmm. attend and to do the events. But oh my goodness. It is amazing. I'm I'm fangirling here, sorry. Just a so, little bit.
2: Well, just if somebody doesn't know how much time are they going to be investing in this? Did you say two-week course?
0: Yeah, it's a two-week course. Uh, and we run two workshops a day. So day one is how to build a business with no money. Day two is sales and marketing. Day three is how to build a website for free. Day four is finding customers on social media. And it kind of rolls from there and it gives you everything you need to be able to get going. Day one will blow your mind about the possibilities of getting going without debt and hopefully change that perception of it takes money to make money. That's our aim. And to empower you to get out there and start going. You can obviously drop in and drop out when you want to come to different pieces of the course. And, you know, the more you come, the more likely you will launch a successful business. Uh, But we understand people have life and families and stuff. And, yeah, we are there to help if we can. The general purpose, the mission is to change the way entrepreneurship is taught and to help people build businesses and make their own money without debt. If I can do that and empower more people to make their own cash, take control of their financial future and avoid going into debt that's it. That's the game for me. And that's all we want to do.
1: That was amazing. Okay. Brendan, do you have any burning questions you want to ask?
2: Alan, you're very thorough. I, I feel like you did a great job explaining your platform. And I think it's a really awesome mission. I know, you know, my husband and I have been doing debt-free stuff in our personal lives, but and my, my business is debt-free, but it, you know, <laughs> I, it's YouTube. So that's fairly easy to keep debt free, but I, wouldn't have thought about this for a, you know, a product-based business or anything like that. So I really love everything you've said. And it's, I think a lot of people get a lot of use out of that for sewing businesses.
0: Well, thank you for having me on the show and allowing me to spread the message of debt-free business amongst the sewing community. And if we can inspire a few people to make some money doing what they love, it's been a valuable investment of all of our time.
2: Yes, agreed.
1: Thank, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, so this is Kathleen from Sunny Mountain Patterns and Brandilyn Daly from Daily Sews and Stuff for the Small Business Sewing Podcast, having interviewed Ellen Donigan on how to start a sewing business with zero debt. Thanks. Okay, bye. <laughs>